Amen. Well, if you're new to City Church, my name is Justin. Welcome. God bless you. Good morning. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, City Church is one church that meets all over Connecticut. So right now, obviously we're here in New Haven, but we're also here in Middletown, in Bridgeport, and in Hartford. So can we say hello to all of our church family? We love you. Good morning. Welcome to church. If you're new to City Church, welcome. So glad that you're here. Not sure if you've been paying attention uh, just to the news, everything that's going on in the world right now. And um, boy, all across the world, it seems like there's just so many, so many crazy things going on. And right here in America, so many crazy things going on. I don't know if you're following the news about what's going on in Charlottesville, but you know, I, I, I hear the news. I was actually away camping with my kids this past couple days, so I hadn't watched the news till last night or checked in at anything. And and my heart just breaks that we have an entire culture, an entire world that's searching for a plot line, searching for a purpose, searching for a story that helps every story make sense. And, uh, and that story is not one of hate. It's not one of bigotry. Amen. It's not one of narrow-mindedness or one of condemning one group to exalt another. Ultimately, the plot line that our heart longs for is one man dying on a cross for the sins of the world. One God who loves humanity so desperately and perfectly that he gives his own life to rescue us. That's the plot line that we're looking for. And when we see this racism, this bigotry, this hatred, as the church family... This is our moment, church. It's our moment to vibrantly live the passionate life of love that Jesus invites us into. It's our moment to share. Come on, come on. It's our moment to actually live a life of loving our neighbor as ourself, especially when our neighbor is not like ourselves. And, uh, and my heart, it just, it's been, in a, in a good way, it's been spiritually heavy, heavy with all that's going on, and believing that through our prayers, God can move mountains in our nation, and through our lives. But you know, it's interesting, the last couple weeks especially, God's been highlighting this topic of prayer in my own heart, and showing me how he's answering my prayers, if I would just be faithful to pray. So at all of our locations, I want to just take a minute, Middletown, Bridgeport, Hartford, here in New Haven, I want you to take a, a, just an opportunity to take the hand of the person next to you on your right and on your left, and we're going to pray for our nation, we're going to pray for God's healing, we're going to pray for a revolution of love that is displayed through Jesus Christ and through the grace and mercy that we find on the cross. So God, we see the chaos, we see the hatred, we see the bigotry that surrounds our world, and Jesus, I pray that healing would come to our nation. I know you hear our prayer. I know you love your people, and I know that you care for this world. So I pray in Jesus' name, hear the cry of our hearts, God. As followers of Christ, we're imperfect, broken people, but we don't want to see a world that's driven by hate, a world that's driven by selfish ambition. Jesus, we want to see people know your love, know your acceptance and your grace. And so I pray, make the church a shining light of divine brotherhood, where people from all different walks of life can find joy and peace and healing and eternal life. Jesus, raise up your church in a time of great division in our nation. Raise up your church as the united front of God's grace. In Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 Yeah, amen. We need to keep praying, church. We need to keep praying. Keep praying for our, for our nation. Keep praying for the world all around us. And keep loving your neighbor as yourself. And don't get sucked into all the chaos of this and that. Get above it and show people Christ. Show people Christ. That's what God's calling us to. And, and I have to preach a sermon now, but that's just been heavy on my heart. And, um, 
And so, so um, just such a passion, even this morning, just praying and, and believing God to do great things through his church. That's the, that's the passion of my heart. I also want to let you know about September 17th. Can you turn to the person next to you and tell them September 17th? Go ahead, just tell them September 17th. We start what I believe is the most important teaching series of our year, okay? It's our fall teaching series. It's six weeks long. It's called This Story Is Me. And we'll be looking for six weeks at the parables of Jesus, the most famous stories really in any teaching ever, the parables of Jesus. We're going to be looking at six key parables and how God reveals not just himself, but ourselves through the parables of Jesus. And so it's going to be a great opportunity for you to host a community group. And so our prayer is that our community groups double during this time. So you may not have a PhD in community group leadership. That's okay, all right? We'll explain more as it gets going. But on August 20, I wrote it down, August 27th, we'll start signing up new hosts to host a community group right at your apartment, right at your house, and invite your friends to study the teachings of Jesus with you. It's going to be awesome. They don't need to come to church if they don't want to, but it's a great opportunity to start to build some bridges. So I want to get that on your radar, September 17th. I know that feels like 100 years away, but the summer is coming to an end. I'm sorry. I just Let me just tell you. And, uh, and so I want to encourage you to, uh, to get ready for that and be a part of that. And uh, we're really believing that God is going to exponentially grow his church this fall. Really believing that in Jesus' name. And so we're excited about all the new people that will be coming and meeting Jesus. Okay, I have to preach a sermon. Here we go. Week one in this story about Joseph, right? We're looking at the life of Joseph, the Old Testament character in the Bible, the son of Jacob, who is the son of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham, and Joseph is one of 12 sons. You remember week one, we talked about this thing that life is like a puzzle, and Joseph has this great dream, but then he's betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery. We said that God is preparing you for everything he has prepared for you. Okay, you weren't paying attention. That's all right. We're going to get there. Last week, we talked about integrity, right? We talked about how our life should be lived all from one pie. You remember that? And that we shouldn't have a piece of our life that's outside of our integrity. And so hopefully, you had some difficult conversations this last week, stepped into all that God has for you, and made some tough calls. And we saw Joseph walk through temptation and through injustice and maintain his integrity because integrity orients my life toward increase. It orients my life toward increase. So today, we actually begin to see the increase that Joseph has been believing God for and praying for. So we're going to talk about promotion. All right, promotion today. Come on, everybody likes promotion, right? Promotion. He goes from the prison to the palace. And if you know the story, you know how God supernaturally, rapidly expands Joseph's opportunities, his responsibilities, and his position in life. Now, promotion or a desire to advance is a very natural human inclination, okay? Every human being wants to advance, wants to increase in responsibility and power, okay? It's just natural. Little kids do it naturally. If you have a little daughter and you give her a toy doll, right? And you say, here, honey, take care of this doll. Pretty soon she'll be spanking that doll when it's bad, right? She'll be putting diapers on that doll and dressing that doll and taking care of that doll because now she, even though she's two, is the boss of the doll, right? Or if you have maybe a, a, a little boy and you give him a pet, he is now the ruler of that pet, right? We got my oldest son a turtle recently. And, and the first thing I said is, son, you get to name him. You get to name the turtle whatever you want. And that's like a power thing. It's like, wow, I'm going to name my turtle. So he named him Vladimir Putin. 
I'm not kidding. That's the name of our turtle. We call him Vlad for short. And so I said, all right, if that's what you want to do, we'll, we'll, this is not a political statement. We're just going to name my turtle Vlad. That's fine. And so Vlad is controlled by Gabe, all right? And so if, if, if someone wants to see Vlad, if someone wants to feed Vlad, they have to go through Gabe because Gabe is in control of Vlad. That is his responsibility. We all like this idea of growing in our access, in our responsibility, advancing in our life. Psychologists have wrestled with this idea. One psychologist came up with what's called need theory. And it's the theory about human motivation, that achievement, that affiliation, that power motivates the heart in various degrees to advance, okay? And so in your life, think about your life. Hopefully, probably, you could see areas where you have sought to advance, and maybe you have. Maybe you, at 19, didn't own a home, but now at 52, you do, right? You advanced, or maybe you were driving a car that barely had four tires, and now you have a nice car, and maybe a big car payment, but you have a nice car, right? And so you've in some ways advanced, right? Or maybe physically there was a time where you're really unhealthy. And yet now you really take care of your body and only eat kale and other things that taste terrible. And you've advanced in some ways, right? And so, and so this is, the, this is the, the fundamental urge of humanity. I want to grow. I want to expand. Now the question is, how do I pursue that? What is my mentality about promotion, about advancing? How do I? And I'd like to introduce to you a couple of ideas that you're already very familiar with because they're common in our society today. So one very common mentality when it comes to promotion is what I would call the rat race mentality, right? The rat race mentality. I was just at a pet store recently and I was watching the rat go around and around and around and around and around. The rat race mentality says there are lots of rats and only a little bit of cheese and I am going to get to the cheese before you. And so this is, of course, woven into the very DNA of American culture. We say hard work, determination. Uh, You know, if you work harder and smarter than the other people around you, you will succeed. And so we champion this idea of diligence and hard work. And, of course, we have our heroes, right? It might be Rockefeller. It might be Bill Gates. It might be Oprah Winfrey. People who worked hard, were diligent, were consistent, and in the end became very successful. And so that's a mentality when it comes to promotion that probably many of us embody to one degree or another. You say, man, you got to fight for it. You got to push for it. You got to beat out the other rats. You've got to succeed. You're always striving, pushing, looking for that promotion, hungry for that next step, the rat race mentality. But another popular mentality that is growing, especially among millennials, right, is what we'll call today the big break mentality. The big break mentality says, you know, I, uh, I, I'll work hard and a little bit and I'll try and all that, but really I'm looking for my big break. I'm looking for that lotto ticket to to just cash in, right? I'm looking for someone to discover me on YouTube and give me millions of dollars because my kid went to the dentist and his face fell asleep and it was really funny, you know? Like, I'm looking, you don't remember that video, that's fine, that's right, it was a while ago. I'm looking for my big break. I'm going to go to the casino and I'm going to spend a little money because I'm looking for my big break. I'm hoping that I win. I'm not going to work so hard. I'm looking to marry someone who's rich, Or who has an uncle that's about to die who's rich. You know, like, I'm looking for just a big opportunity to get me out of the mundane routine. That's another perspective on promotion. Now, as followers of Jesus, we struggle with this whole idea of promotion, right? We say, well, how is a person supposed to think 
about promotion. You know, like, we know that self-promotion is a sinful idea. We know that that was the root of what got Adam and Eve in trouble in the garden, that they were looking to be God rather than to honor and image God, right, to display him. And so it was that sense of self-promotion that is at the root of pride, right? And pride is the great sin of the human heart. I don't need God. I can do it on my own. And so as Christians, we hear about promotion and we're kind of like, well, I don't want to be promoted. You know, like I'm not, I'm not looking for promotion. I'm not looking for, I'm supposed to be a Christian. I'm supposed to be like, you know, non-promotional, right? And yet at the same time, you read the book and God is constantly talking about how he wants to promote you. You remember in the late nineties, the prayer of Jabez, right? Come on, somebody. Jabez, right? Oh, that you would bless me and expand my territory. And God says, done. God wants to promote you. In Psalm chapter 1, it says, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And it says that that man will prosper in whatever he does. That he'll bear fruit in his seasons. And everything he does will prosper. So God wants to promote us. The Apostle John said, Beloved, I wish above all things that you be in health and that you prosper even as your soul prospers. Jesus taught that God was a good father who desires to give good gifts to his children. So this is a little confusing. I'm not supposed to want promotion, and at the same time, God wants my promotion, right? So what am I supposed to do here? I'm not supposed to hunger for self-promotion and advancement because it's proud and sinful and arrogant, yet at the same time, God says he wants to promote me. And I find within my heart this deep longing to advance in life, to promote in life. So now the question becomes, how does a follower of Jesus, everybody tracking so far? Middletown, you're doing good? How is a follower of Jesus supposed to think about this topic of promotion? This is crucial, by the way. Crucial to our understanding of who God is and how he works. How is a follower of Jesus supposed to think about this issue of promotion? Well, the good news is, now in the life of Joseph, we get a model for a godly way of thinking about promotion. And today I want to give you five principles of godly promotion. You can write them down. I encourage you to. Five principles of promotion according to the scriptures. And we see it modeled in the life of Joseph. I promise you this has relevance for your life. Because whether you realize it or not, you are looking to advance. The question is, how are you going to do it? And it's crucial to think about it through the lens of the gospel. And so, if you remember the story of Joseph... He is betrayed by his brothers, right? Last week we talked about how he is tempted to commit adultery with Potiphar's wife, does not give in to the temptation, and then is accused of rape and gets thrown into prison. And yet when he gets thrown into prison, he's promoted there as well. And he starts to prosper and he becomes in charge of much of the prison, even though he's a prisoner. We pick it up in Genesis chapter 40, starting in verse 1. You can follow along on the screen at every location. Or you can just listen, but here we go. Verse 1. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And the pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the cupbearer and the chief baker and the candlestick maker. And he put them in custody. Just make sure you're paying attention. He put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard appointed Joseph, surprise, surprise, to be with them. And he attended them and he continued for some time in their custody. And so we find Joseph now is in a position of authority where he's helping out these two people who are the servants, the top officials of the king of Egypt, the pharaoh. The story goes on to tell us that these two officials have both have a dream, okay? They have different dreams. And Joseph interprets their dreams. God gives him the capacity, the ability to understand what the dreams mean. 
and the cupbearer's dream means that in three days he'll be exalted back to his position of power at the right hand of Pharaoh. The baker's dream is, is that he'll actually be executed for the crimes he's committed in three days. Now, Joseph tells them the interpretation of those dreams. Obviously, one was a little excited about that. The other one was not as excited. But he tells them the interpretation of the dreams, and it happens exactly as he says. Jesus, or Jesus Joseph says to the cupbearer in verse 13 this. Take a, take a look. Verse 13, chapter 40. i got to get over there. Boom. Verse 13, chapter 40. He says, In three days Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand formerly as you did when you were the cupbearer. Only remember me when it's well said, when it's well with you and please do me kindness and mention me to Pharaoh so that to get me out of this house. In other words, he says, hey listen I just interpreted your dream. Can you put in a good word for me for Pharaoh and get me out of prison please? Well here's what happens when the cupbearer is restored to his position. Verse 23 Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. Nice. Thanks a lot. Verse 1 of the next chapter says this. After, see it? Two whole years. I like how it says two whole years. Like there's an emphasis there. After two whole years. Have you ever in your life thought you figured out God's plan for you only to find out that it didn't happen that way at all? You know, like you lose your job, and then your friend tells you about this other job, and you go for the interview, and you're like, of course, I lost my one job so God could bless me with a better job, and now I've got this interview, it's going to go even better, and then they don't give you the job. And you're like, oh, that's not how it's supposed to work. Like, I thought I figured this whole thing out. Well, Joseph had thought he figured out God's plan. Oh, you brought the cupbearer here so I could get out, and you'll put a good word in me for prayer. So just put a good word in for me. It's going to be great. And two years go by, and the guy completely forgets about Joseph, right? Now, what was Joseph doing, doing during those two years? Let me tell you, because the scripture says. What was Joseph up to in the middle of those two years? You ready? Nothing. He was up to nothing. He was sitting in prison. He was doing nothing. This man was just working the mundane routine. See, on the outside, it seemed like a massive waste of time. Nothing seemed to be happening. But I'm convinced, as I look at the text, that on the inside, God was up to something in the middle of Joseph's waiting, in the middle of the boredom, I'm talking to somebody today, in the middle of the delay, in the middle of the waiting for what God's put in your heart. I believe with all my heart that God was at work. God, in the midst of the waiting, was working on the inside of Joseph. He was suffocating Joseph's pride. He was dealing with Joseph's selfish ambition. He was working on the inside of Joseph's heart. This is why in the New Testament, James tells us, the half-brother of Jesus, he says, consider it all joy. Check a look. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Stay with me. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, when I am waiting, and when it seems like nothing is working all around me, God is working something great within me. That's his plan. In the midst of the waiting, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the lack, as I wait, God changes my heart. I'm talking to you right now because you've been waiting for a promise. You've been waiting for a blessing. And you think God is late. Friend, I want to tell you that God is not late. He's in fact trying to get your attention because he's less concerned about your outside and more concerned about your inside. And if he can work it on the inside, then anything can happen on the outside. That's what the Lord is up to in the midst 
of the waiting. I love how Job discovers this. If you know Job's story, he had a bit of a rough life, right? He had a lot of difficulty, but he says this, Behold, I go forward, but God is not there. And backward, and I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right, but I do not see him. In other words, everywhere I look, God seems to not be doing anything. And then he says this, But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. When he has tried me, that's a word for somebody today. When he has tried me, come Holy Spirit, I shall come out as gold. Principle one in promotion, jot this down. Principle one is this, every delay is an invitation to grow. Every delay is an invitation to grow. Go ahead and turn to the person on your left and tell them that. Every delay, come on, you can say it out loud. Every delay is an invitation to grow. Some of us struggle with our left and our right. That's okay, we're going to work that out too. Every delay is an invitation to grow. Are you facing a delay right now? Are you facing a delay right now in some area of your life? Here's what I know, that God is working in you. God is working in you. So two years pass. Two years pass, and now Pharaoh has a dream, if you know the story. And there's no one in all of Egypt who can help him understand his dream because God is trying to speak to Pharaoh through his dream. And it's at this point that the cupbearer who met Joseph in prison two years earlier remembers Joseph. And he says, you know what? There's a young Hebrew in prison who will be able to interpret your dream. He's anointed by the great God. And he can interpret your dream. And so Joseph has his Cinderella moment, right? He goes from hanging out with the mice to walking in the palace, right? Like he has his Cinderella moment. And I'm thankful for these supernatural Cinderella moments. They actually do happen. In real life, God can promote you overnight. In real life, God can open the door to a relationship that you've been praying for for 20 years. He can do it in five minutes. That God can supernaturally open a door for you that you've been asking him to open for years and years and years. You have to understand there are these moments in real life where the Holy Spirit just swings the door open. Let your faith get up. Swings the door open and you step into the promise of God like you've never known before. Thank God for these moments, right? I remember in my own life as a younger man in my early 20s, just starting out in ministry, my wife and I were trying to raise financial support to be able to travel all over the world and preach the gospel and we were broke. I mean, we were broke, broke. And we'd ask people, would you consider partnering with us and helping us financially as we go off as missionaries? And people would be like, yeah, here's $20 a month. And even though that was awesome, it didn't get us very far, you know? And so I remember the moment where I sat with a guy, a friend of mine, a businessman, and he looked at me and he said, Justin, let me ask you a question. Um, How much is your mortgage? I told him. And he said, okay, I'm going to pay that for a year. That was a Cinderella moment. I was like, I'm in the palace. You know what I mean? It was like, like, wow, God just opened the door. And from that point on, our ministry just launched off. Thank God for those moments. Now we see how Joseph handles this incredible promotion. Verse 14, Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. There it is. Boom, happened in a moment. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh because he probably smelled like beef, right? And so verse 15, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there's no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said, of you that when you hear a dream you can interpret it so this is your moment joseph how are you going to respond to this opportunity this is so crucial for your life and promotion remember every delay is an invitation to grow we're about to see principle two look what he says verse 16 joseph answered pharaoh it is not in me it is not in me god will give pharaoh a favorable answer did you notice that It is not in me. Did you notice the collision of two different ways of thinking in that one little phrase? He said, first, it's not in me. 
It's not in me. In other words, he was deeply aware of his own inadequacy. And this is where some of us get in trouble because the truth is you think it is in you. You think you have the skill. You have the ability. You're smart enough. You're strong enough. You're talented enough. And friend, when you are relying on your own ability, God cannot use you or bless you. Because it hinders his working through you because you're not aligned with reality. You think you're so strong, but you can't even keep your heart pumping, right? You can't even keep your brain working or your lungs taking in air. You can't. God alone keeps you alive. It's not in me. What a deep sense of humility. And yet at the same time, he doesn't say, it's not in me. I don't know anything. I'll give it a shot, though. That's not his perspective, right? Joseph says, it's not in me. And then he makes this radically courageous statement. He says, God's going to give you an answer, Pharaoh. I mean, that takes some guts, right? I call this collision, so important to understanding the blessing of God, I call this collision humble audacity. Humble audacity. It is the very fabric of what God is looking for in your life so that he can bless you. Now, we can't earn God's blessings, right? Blessings are free. But we can position ourselves in the place where blessing comes upon us. And if we do not position ourselves in the place where blessing comes upon us, then we will, in fact, miss the blessings that God has for us. So then what is the position of the heart that God blesses? Well, we see it right here in Joseph. It's modeled for us in the New Testament all over the place, by the way. If you know the stories of the New Testament, you know that twice Jesus tells people that they had great faith. Do you know what those two times are? The first is with a Canaanite woman who comes to him and asks Jesus to heal his da- her daughter. And she says, Jesus, will you please heal my daughter? And he gives her a very rough response. He says, I'm not going to give the children's bread to dogs because this woman was, a, it was an evil woman who did not honor God. And she comes back to him. She doesn't say, how dare you call me a dog, right? Instead, she expresses this radical audacity and humility. And she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs off the floor. And he says, woman, your faith is great. Your daughter's healed. There's another instance where a centurion man comes to Jesus, a a man of power in Roman society. And he says, Jesus, my servant is sick. Can you come and heal her? And, And Jesus says, yes, I'll come and heal her. And then the centurion says, no, no, no. You don't actually even need to come to my house. I'm not worthy of you coming into my house. Just say the word. And I believe that my servant will be healed. And Jesus says, I've not seen faith like this anywhere. In all of Israel, he says, your faith has saved this person. They are healed. See, what is he saying in those moments? He's saying that God is attracted to humble humble audacity, humble audacity. So if we want to understand promotion and God's way of promoting, we must understand principle one, that every delay is an invitation to grow. But then we've got to embrace principle two. You can jot it down. Humble audacity attracts God's favor. It attracts God's favor. So Pharaoh has a dream. It's kind of a strange dream, but in the dream, he sees seven cows that are fat and healthy. And then he sees seven cows that are sickly and lean eat the seven healthy cows. Then he sees seven ears of grain that are healthy. And then he sees seven ears of sick grain devour the healthy grain. And he does not know what it means. And Joseph interprets the dream without hesitation. He tells him the dreams are one and the same. There will be seven years of abundance in Egypt and then seven years of famine like no one has ever seen before. He interprets the dream, but then Joseph takes a big step 
in verse 33. Take a look at the scripture with me. Now, he says this to Pharaoh. Now, therefore, now you got to get the picture in your mind. Joseph is a slave who just came out of prison, who's talking to the most powerful man on earth, right? Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. And let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of the Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. Boom, there you go, Pharaoh. That's exactly what you're supposed to do. He has the guts to give advice to the most powerful man in the world. Now, stay with me, because I don't know if you noticed what he didn't do right there. Did you notice? He didn't promote himself. He didn't try to manipulate the moment. Joseph resisted the urge to say, actually, Pharaoh, I think I'm your guy. I think I should be the one to run this whole operation. In fact, I've been waiting for God to promote me, and I'm pretty confident that you're the vehicle of my promotion. So do you think you could just push me up to a place of high position right now? Joseph has every intention or urge in his flesh to do that, and yet according to the scriptures, he doesn't. He says, here's exactly what you should do. And then he waits. Why? Why? Because Joseph believed what the psalmist would later write in Psalm 75. And this is where we see our third principle of promotion. Look, Psalm 75 says it like this. For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. God is the judge. And there we find principle three. Promotion comes from the Lord. I am telling you, church, if you get that into your heart, it changes the way you think about everything. Promotion comes from the Lord. What does that mean? It means that you don't have to strive and worry about whether somebody jockeys you out of position at work. It means that you don't have to stress and compare yourself to other people on social media. It means that you don't have to struggle and try to get the next step in your career and then get frustrated when you don't get it. You don't have to do any of that because ultimately God loves you and he controls your life. And at just the right time, he will exalt you. At just the right time, he will promote you. If you take on a heart of humble audacity, if you see every delay as an invitation to grow, then you can be sure that promotion is coming, but it's coming from the Lord. It's coming from the Lord. Come on, I just want to set you free today. I want to set you free from the stress and the strain. You say, Justin, I've been waiting for a spouse for so long. It's been 10 years, 15 years. It's been so long. I don't think I'm ever going to get married. I don't know what God's plan is for me. Take those delays as an invitation for your heart to grow. I'm talking to you right now. And have a humble audacity to ask God for his best for your life and submit to his will in all things. And I will tell you this, that God will guide your steps. And at the right time, he'll bring the right person in the right way. In Jesus' name. Trust him. Trust him. Because he has your best interests at heart. And he knows what's better for you than you know. And that's his plan. Promotion comes from the Lord. It means you can stop striving. And so as he trusts the Lord, the blessing overflows in his life. That's what happens next. As Joseph does not promote himself, but trusts that promotion comes from God, look what happens next. Verse 38. Everybody doing okay? Come on, turn to the person next to you and tell him, this is for you, by the way. Go ahead and tell him. 
Verse 38. He told me, I already figured this out, but this is for you. Really, it's not for me, it's for you. Verse 38 says this. Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? I love that. He recognized God's spirit in Joseph. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring. That's like the Amex card of Egypt, okay? the charge card of Egypt, from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him with garments of fine linen, put a gold chain around his neck. And he made him ride in a second chariot and they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I'm Pharaoh. And without your consent, no one shall lift up a hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name, and he gave him to marriage to this other person that, I don't want to say that name because it sounds like I'm swearing, the daughter of this other guy, the priest. So Joseph went over all the land of Egypt. Amazing, right? What an incredible story. And so there's this amazing exaltation. And then it says this, verse 49, And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. And before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, and that's enough, the daughter of uh, the priest who bore him. And Joseph called the name of the first son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship in all my father's house. Now the name of the second son he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. That's what their names mean, by the way. God has made me forget the pain of my past, and God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And so Joseph has this incredible position of promotion. He goes literally from a slave to the most powerful man in Egypt overnight. And it's interesting that he has these two sons and he gives them these specific names, right? Two sons, he gives them very specific names and it's, the story slows down to tell us why. See, it would have been natural now that Joseph is in a position of power to seek revenge on those who had done him wrong. He could have sought out Mrs. Potiphar and had her arrested for accusing him of a crime he didn't commit and throwing him in prison. He could have had her thrown in prison, but he doesn't do that. He could have sought out his family, his brothers who had betrayed them, and have them killed or executed for their crimes, but he doesn't do that. Instead, check it out, instead, because his heart was for God, and he had a humble audacity, he had embraced every delay as an invitation to grow, and he saw that promotion came from the Lord. Because he embodied this different way of thinking about promotion, he wasn't in the rat race, he wasn't in the big break mentality, he was trusting his God, and because he did that, his heart gave forth, birthed forth Manasseh. Manasseh came out of him. The Lord has enabled me to forget my pain and my affliction. See, he was able to forgive. Now, we know that he doesn't actually forget what happened to him. This is important. He forgets the sting of what happened to him. Some of us in the room, you've been betrayed, you've been hurt, you've gone through a terrible divorce, you've been lied to, your mom abandoned you, your dad was never there. And you've got all these scars, all this wounding, all this frustration. I'm telling you that God may not re erase the memory of those things, but he will erase the sting. He will erase the sting of those things. And so once God has erased the sting, now he's able to give forth Ephraim, to birth Ephraim, which is the double blessing of God. That's what that means. Ephraim, the double blessing of God. So why does Joseph take this opportunity to name his kids his story really to name his kids his history because joseph understood the power 
of remembrance. Remembrance. And there's many of us in the room that God has done great things in our hearts and in our lives, but we have forgotten them, and we're no longer living from the faith that could come from that experience. And remembrance fueled his future. And so we hear, we here we see principle number four in promotion, and it is this, that internal victories require external reminders. Internal victories require external reminders. In other words, I've got to set up around myself things that will remind me of God's faithfulness through my journey. When I sit in my office at home, I have a little study at home that I do most of my studying from. And right in that office, I've literally set up all around my office little external reminders of God's faithfulness through every different season of my life. When I was little and then as a teenager and then as in my 20s. And all these different little mini reminders. I've got on my wall what I wrote down as a 16-year-old kid about a dream to see New England transformed and to start a church and see churches started all over the region. I've had that right up on my wall, 16 years old, that dream God put in my heart. I've got all different reminders all around me of God's faithfulness. So in those moments when I have a tendency to forget, which we all have those moments, I can walk around that room, see the reminders of God in my life, and those external reminders solidify that internal victory. Come on, somebody. You need some external reminders. Amen. The story gets even better. Verse 53. Stay with me. Verse 53. Seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. And there was famine in all the lands... But in the land of Egypt, there was what? There was bread. There was bread. We'll come back to that. There was bread. In all the land of Egypt, there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh, I love this, for bread. And Pharaoh said to the Egyptians, go to Joseph. Remember that phrase, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. And then verse 56. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened, what's the next word? All. He opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. So here's the question. Joseph has a different perspective of promotion. He's not in the rat race trying to beat somebody else out. He's not waiting for some big break. Instead, he is seeing every delay as an opportunity to grow. Instead, he's trusting God to promote him at the time that God's called to promote him. Instead, he He's embracing humble audacity in his approach towards God. And it's in this perspective that he creates now external reminders of his internal victory. Even through his sons, he reminds himself of God's faithfulness. And it's in the midst of all this now that he is promoted. What does he do with that promotion? We see exactly what he does with that promotion. Does he hoard it? Does he try to control it? Does he try to, you know, uh, protect what's his? No. According to the scriptures, he opens all the storehouses. In other words, he leverages his exalted position for the benefit of others. And this is the very core of God's purpose in promoting his people. It's the very core. It's what he told his great-grandfather Abraham many years earlier when he said this. He said, I'll make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. Why? So that you can hoard it and keep it for yourself. Why? So that you can protect it and feel secure in your possessions. Why? So that you can be exalted in the eyes of people. No, 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 no. I am going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. God blesses you so that you can be a blessing. 
And then he blesses you so that you can be a blessing. And then he blesses you so that you can be a blessing. Now, this runs contrary to the very core of our thinking when it comes to promotion. The big break tells us that all i got to do is wait for my opportunity. Then it will all be about me. The rat race tells us I've got to beat out the person next to me in order to have a position of responsibility. But Joseph knows something. Don't miss this. Joseph knows something that we have forgotten, church, in our time, in our culture, in our generation. He knows that promotion of self, that advancement of self, that personal achievement is at the end of the day what we'll call today a counterfeit finish line. That when you are exalted to a high position, that when you find success in the eyes of other people, that ache does not go away. That thirst for power only expands. We see this again and again. People who receive power only long for more power. And then receive that power and only long for more power. And then receive that power and only long for more power. See, advancement and increase cannot be satisfied by status. It cannot be satisfied by human means. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. See, you are not designed for self-promotion. And every attempt at self-promotion will only leave you hollow and empty. You are designed to display the image of God. You are designed for something far greater. And it's only in that something far greater that your thirst for advancement, your thirst for more, your thirst for promotion can actually be deeply satisfied. Your heart, whether you realize it or not, longs for glory. It longs for glory. I'm not talking about human glory. I'm not talking about natural glory. Your heart, the scripture says God has put eternity into your heart. Your heart longs for eternal glory. What is eternal glory? It's the intangible, eternal, divine splendor of the creator himself emanating through his creation. That's what glory is. It is the very beauty and splendor of God coming out of your life. And at the very core of who you are, this new perspective of promotion must be fueled eternally by principle five. And this is the last one, the fifth principle of promotion that we see in the life of Joseph and that we can apply to our life. Is that the essence of life, the essence of all of life, is the glory of God. The essence of my life is to display his life through me. The essence of my life is to take any position of authority that I'm given and leverage that to be a blessing to others so that they can see the kindness of God through my hands, through my eyes, through my heart, through my words. The essence of your life, you didn't get that promotion so that you could have more money. You didn't get that high position so that you could feel powerful or important in the eyes of people. You didn't get that promotion to beat out somebody else. God gave you that position so that you could use the position to display his nature. That's why. That's why he promoted you at all. And for some of us, we have been misusing the position that God's given us. Joseph doesn't. 
Joseph reveals God through his promotion. He provides bread for the whole world. He literally saves the world from a famine by giving, by providing. But I don't want you to miss this. At the same time, Joseph points us to the solution of your own soul. He points us to the ultimate answer to the great hunger to advance. See, I said from the beginning, little girls, little boys, you don't have to teach them to promote themselves. You don't have to teach them to long for more power. You don't have to teach human beings to desire advancement. It's written in the code of your soul. But how do you satisfy that thirst? How do you actually satisfy? Will a certain position in your business do it? No. Will a certain amount of money in your bank account do it? No. Will a certain amount of notoriety do it? No. Will a certain amount of comfort do it? No. How do you satisfy that great hunger for advancement and promotion in your own heart? There's only one way, and Joseph for us is a shadow, an Old Testament shadow of a New Testament reality. And we've been seeing this week after week that Joseph is not just telling us the story of Joseph. Joseph is a picture or a shadow pointing to the story of Jesus, right? Of Jesus. And so when we see the story of Joseph in that light, what we find is that Jesus actually was the one who introduced to humanity a different way of thinking about promotion. For 30 years, the Son of God lived in obscurity. He embraced the delay for the sake of God's glory in his life, right? And for 30 years, we don't know hardly anything that the Son of God did other than work in a carpenter shop. Can you imagine at age 26 what Jesus felt? The most powerful person in planet Earth. This God, man, who could do anything with the power of the Spirit, and yet he waits and waits and waits until God's time. He embraces the wait. And then he becomes the perfect example of humble audacity. Jesus always serving others and at the same time bold and confident saying, my kingdom is not of this world. It's Jesus who models for us perfect humble audacity. And at age 30, just like Joseph, by the way, at age 30, he is exalted to his position and begins to display himself at the service of the king. And then just before he is to be crucified, he takes his disciples into a room, right? And he says, boys, you need an external reminder of this internal victory. This is my body. This is my blood. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance. Manasseh and Ephraim, do it in remembrance of me. He gives them the external reminder of that internal victory. Then Jesus, you know the story, is cast into the pit called the grave. He hangs on the cross, and on that cross he pays for the sins of the world in full. And in paying for the sins of the world, he rises from the dead. And in rising from the dead becomes the bread of life for all those who will believe. So that when the king is called upon by people, when people look up to God and they say, God, why do you feel so distant? God, why aren't you answering my prayers? God, who are you? He says, go to Jesus. Just as Pharaoh said, go to Joseph. He says, go to Jesus. And whatever he tells you to do, do it. And when you come, if you come to Jesus, what you will find is you'll get in line and you'll wait to see Jesus. And as you step up to him, just as people stepped up to Joseph, he doesn't hold back. He opens up all the storehouses of his grace and he freely provides you with the very bread of life. This is God's plan. He says, I give you eternal life. Eternal life. And you got to see this. 
that when I eat the eternal life, what does that mean? When I eat the bread of life, when I receive Christ myself, when I say yes to him, when I come in humble audacity, knowing that I'm not worthy, but believing that he loves me. When I come with an attitude of submission and confidence, that humble audacity, and I submit myself to Jesus, not trying to earn my way, not trying to make up my own way, but instead just coming to the cross like a child and believing that God gave his life for me so that I could be saved. When I come that way, that's eating the bread of life. And when I receive the bread of life, I simultaneously receive divine promotion. I receive divine promotion because Jesus puts me in his position before the Father. And I receive divine promotion. My sins are all forgiven. My brokenness is healed. My orphan heart is adopted by God. My rejected soul is loved eternally. And I receive the position of Jesus Christ before the Father. He sees me as blameless. He sees me as perfect. He sees me as forgiven. And that ache in my soul to advance, to promote, to expand is satisfied by the very bread of life. This is God's plan for you. The question for the morning is, are you feasting on the bread of life? Or are you struggling and striving striving in the rat race of culture? Are you deeply satisfied in the love of God? Or are you hoping to impress him with your performance? At all of our locations, you stand to your feet with me. Middletown, Bridgeport, Hartford, here in New Haven. Take just a moment. Close your eyes. Take just a moment and close your eyes. I want to just first talk to the person who feels far from God. Are you far from God right now? You don't need to be. You can turn your life over to Jesus Christ right now. You can open up your heart to him. It takes surrender and it takes faith. To surrender means that you got to put down your guns. You have to relinquish control to God. And to believe means you have to hear the story of his love for you displayed on the cross through his resurrection and believe it, receive it, accept it, embrace it. Not just as a good tale, but as your door to life. Have you surrendered and believed in Christ? Have you wandered from that commitment? Right now is your opportunity to place your faith in Jesus. At every location, Middletown, Bridgeport, Hartford, here in New Haven, if that's you, in just a second, I'm going to count to three, and it's your opportunity just to raise your hand on the count of three to say, Justin, I need to trust Christ. I need to turn my life over to him. I'm far from God and I don't want to be and I believe that God does in fact love me and that does, he does in fact receive me as I place my faith in Jesus. I hear him calling me, I feel his calling and I've been fighting it long enough. Today's my day to surrender. I want to pray for you that I'm going to count to three. Father in heaven, I pray right now in Jesus' name for every person wrestling with surrender to God. I pray that right now in Jesus' name by your grace you give them the strength to surrender and to place their faith in Christ alone. One, two, three. If that's you, say, that's me. You can just put your hand up. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. You can put your hands down. God bless you. God bless you. doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. Jesus knows your heart. All those that have raised their hand in New Haven, God bless you. You can put your hands down. 
every other location, this is your time to surrender. It's your time to place your faith in Jesus. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You can whisper this prayer to God right now. Just say, Jesus, save me. Right now, Jesus, save me. I believe you died and rose again. I believe you love me. Right now, I receive forgiveness of sins. Make me new. Take my life. I surrender. I believe. Thank you for eternal life. Amen. Amen. Look up at me. Amen. Amen. At all of our campuses together, we are going to participate in communion right now. If you've put your faith in Jesus, this is your chance to have an external reminder of that internal commitment. If you're here and you don't believe in Jesus, then we're glad you're here. We're thankful that you're checking out church. We are. You don't need to participate in communion. This is something believers do to honor God and to participate in the remembrance of his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. So at every location, if the ushers want to get ready, if the servant team wants to get ready, there are various positions here in New Haven. If you guys come on out, we'll be here, we'll be here. Every location will be a little different, but As we partake in communion today, I want to encourage you to think about something, okay? I want to encourage you to think about this. That right now, I abandon the cultural norm of promotion. And instead, I choose to see every delay as an invitation to grow. I choose to approach God with a humble audacity. I choose with all my heart to trust that promotion comes from the Lord. I practice this external reminder to declare with my life that the very essence of my existence is the glory of God. We'll dismiss row by row. Servant team will let you know after you've received communion, go back to your seat, and we're going to worship Jesus for a few more minutes, and then we'll wrap up. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we welcome your presence. And as we participate in this act of communion, we do this in remembrance of you. We remember what you did for us, and we take this moment right now to declare with our actions and with our life that we trust you as the God who promotes us all the way to a position of righteousness before the Father in heaven. Thank you for your grace. We receive it today in Jesus' name.